inviting me and especially for a harvest festival it's a, it's a rare thing that churches are doing these days and I, it's a real shame because I think it's a good thing to do to stop at some point and acknowledge you know God does give so much to us we have got so much plenty in, in our country in our cupboards in our fridges back at home and good to stop and give thanks for all those who make it possible for us to have so much food, be it the farmers in the fields who bring in the crops and things, the guys who stack the shelves often through the night to make sure there's food in the supermarkets, and for me personally, those brilliant, brilliant guys who drive the Morrisons vans and deliver it to our house. They're wonderful in bringing the food to us. And so I think harvest is a great thing to do, and of course, good, most of all, to give thanks to God for his goodness, that he is Jehovah Jireh and provides for us. And the Bible has things to say about harvest as well. That's the kind of title. This little proverb here, Proverbs 20, verse 4. Boys and girls, notice this. Mums and dads, grown-ups too. The sluggard or the lazy person does not plough after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. It's true, isn't it? It makes real sense. What it's really saying is, is it, as the farmer goes about his work and then brings in the harvest, it's all that hard work of bringing in the crops and things, if he then puts his feet up and thinks, I can just enjoy the fruits of the harvest, I can enjoy time to have a bit of rest, before he knows it, the next season comes round, and the next summer, and then the next harvest, and he's not prepared, and there'll be nothing. So actually, when you, if you know of any farmers, if you see any farmers at work, they're busy, busy people. They do not stop. They, they bring in the harvest, and no sooner has the harvest been brought in, then the ploughs go out and the land is turned over and the soil's prepared for the next year that they can sow their crops and grow another harvest the next season that comes round. It's a, it's a good little proverb and because it tells us as well that we should be those who are busy. There's no time for us just yet to stop and put our feet up or take life easy. There's a work for Jesus for us all to do. And so I do want to talk about ploughing, really, and have a little think about that. Of course, ploughing is very much the idea of, of literally turning over the soil, of bringing up fresh nutrients to the surface, ready for the next year, and then burying, really, all of the, the weeds or all that's been left behind from the crops that have been taken in. And farmers spend a lot of time ploughing the ground well to make sure the soil is ready and prepared. And... Of course, in olden days, it would have been done by hand like that, pulling some kind of cart or pushing some kind of cart behind oxen or horses or, or some kind of cattle that were taken along. But these days, if you go out and see them, you'll see farmers with their very big ploughs, ploughing along these furrows, these long, straight lines as they take them through their, their fields. And they can do six, seven, eight at a time quite easily on their big big modern machines and ploughing is an important thing and I've been told some farmers take it very very seriously they take it very seriously they get the, the the neatest straightest best lines so much so that they have their championships they turn into a bit of a an art form or a sporting form so that they they have these championships and have done for years to compete as to see not who's the fastest at ploughing the grounds but who can plough the neatest and straightest of furrows? It's incredible. And it's not just an old-time thing either. There are modern-day ploughing championships. And, well, here's a little 
video okay from a couple of years ago from the World Plowing Championships. Watch this and see how proud they are of their, uh, their achievements. What do you think? It's not my kind of thing at all, but that's what gets some farmers very, very excited as they try to plow those nice, neat, straight furrows. And I'm told the key to being successful is on that first line you do, just like when you do the first line of cutting on the grass in the garden, is to keep your eyes fixed straight ahead. Don't look around you as you're plowing along. Don't look behind you. But that first one, find something in the distance. Find something on the horizon to fix your eyes upon and head straight to it, whatever it might be. And then you'll get the nice, neat, straight line. Good advice, isn't it? Fix your eyes on something straight ahead. Don't look around. Don't look backwards. And you'll be okay. And um, Jesus said something about plowing as well. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus said, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew this kind of advice. Clearly, he'd seen people plowing and knew this tip. Look ahead. To plow a straight line, look ahead. If you look back, you'll go off course. And you'll make a mess. And so I want us to think about plowing and how this can apply to us and how thinking about plowing can help us think about following Jesus and what that really means. Here's some verses from Hebrews chapter 12 that we're going to think about as we think about especially fixing our eyes on something straight ahead of us to keep us on the straight and narrow. Okay, as I read the verses, boys and girls and grown-ups too, look out. Listen out for that, that object, that thing, that person, where to fix our eyes on. Here's what the, the Bible tells us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what I want us to think about. Where are we to fix our eyes? On Jesus. If we want to, as it were, plow a nice straight line through life, if as Paul, in this, this passage here, talks about a race. If we run, want to run a nice straight line in the race to the finishing line, we've got to look to Jesus and set our eyes on him. He's the person to focus on. And so the challenge this morning is very, very simple. Are we looking to Jesus? Are our eyes fixed upon him? All of us. Because, you know, there are distractions around us. And there are people who will seek to knock us off course. People will try to take, make us take our eyes off Jesus. The devil will certainly want us to do that. And so it'll be tempting for us to, to look at the, as it were, the, the plowman beside us to see how he's doing. Is our line matched up with his? That's not going to help us. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. Or to keep looking back behind us, see where we've come from, to see how it's looking. But again, we'll soon go off course. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Are we really doing that? And as this passage here talks about this, this race we're on, heading towards a finishing line, are we going to get there into the arms of Jesus? 
You can picture this kind of scene kind of from a school's sports day kind of perspective where there is this tape set up and there's the finishing line there and the smallest of children are setting off on their race. And all the mums are there at the finishing line shouting and waving and saying, come on, run to me as these boys and girls hurtle down the course. And that's the image we have here. As we go through life, as we're in this race, this journey we're all in, we're all heading towards the same destination, a finishing line. And Jesus is there saying, come on, come to me. Come to me. And, well, the question is, are we fixing our eyes on him? I see it a bit like this, that if there is a finishing tape set up for us, which we're all going to cross, it's huge. It's a really long tape and everybody will finish the race. Everybody will get to journey's end, life's end, but the section where Jesus is is small. And so many people will cross the line, but they won't have run to Jesus. But those who've got their eyes fixed on him will head for him and finish up in his arms, the place of safety. And that's what these verses are really telling us. Fix your eyes on Jesus and find in him the place of safety. Four things these verses in Hebrews tell us about Jesus. They tell us who this Jesus is. Ever thought of that? Who is Jesus? Maybe you know lots about him through stories you've been told or have read or heard from others. But do you, have you really thought about who is Jesus? Who do I really think he is? Well, these verses tell us that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus is the beginning and end of everything. We need to know friendship with God. He's the pioneer and the perfecter. You know, the Bible tells me very, very clearly that God has always had a perfect plan for rescuing people. Always. From the beginning of time. And it's always been about the person of Jesus. And so when I read the Gospels and read about Jesus then being arrested and beaten and eventually put on a cross, it's no shock to me because I know it's God's perfect plan and always has been. And Jesus several times told his followers he knew he was going to suffer, he was going to be put on a cross, he was going to die. Jesus knew that. It was always God's perfect plan. And Jesus knew too that death would not hold him, but he'd be raised to life three days later. It's a crucial thing to remember that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the, the beginner and the finisher of everything we need to know God's good rescue. And that's a great thing to know about Jesus. Because what it tells me is, it's not as though Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and then says, well, follow me, but, and I've done my bits, now you do your bit. You've got to do all of these things, you've got to jump through these hoops, you've got to try and do this, give that, etc., now these verses tell me that Jesus has done everything for me. Everything so that I can be friends with God forever. And that's a wonderful thing for us to know. That it's not about our efforts. It's not about us having to try and do things because we'll always fail. We'll always end up letting somebody down instead of letting Jesus down. We'll never make it by ourselves. But Jesus is saying, I've done it. Everything perfected the plan. 
and now look to me, follow me, run to me, and you're safe, and you're rescued, and I'll look after you forever. That's who this Jesus is that we're called to fix our eyes upon. But what is this, this plan? What is this rescue he brings about for us? What did Jesus do? Well, these verses tell me in Hebrews 12, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus willingly went to the cross in my place. Willingly went to the cross in your place. And so these earlier verses talked about, let us throw off the sin that entangles us, sin that will hold on to us, sin that will slow us down and stop us from knowing friendship with God. Well, these verses remind me that Jesus went to the cross because of my sin. As it were, it's as though Jesus came and untangled my sin and took it all from me so I can journey through life not bound down by sin and entangled by it and a slave to it. Jesus took it all off me and Jesus bore it all in his own body as he hung on the cross. Jesus died in my place. That's a wonderful truth. That Jesus is my substitute. He did the great swap in taking all of my sin from me so that he could forgive me and give me new life. And so promise me eternity in his kingdom in heaven. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame for me and for you. But there's more. Why Jesus died. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus fulfill that perfect plan that I might, I might know God's rescue? Why? Well, for the joy set before him. He wasn't going to enjoy being on the cross, of course. He wasn't going to enjoy dying in my place, but he knew the results of it would be joy forever. When Jesus died on the cross taking my sin, I can know forgiveness, and that brings him great joy. Because Jesus loves every single one of us. Jesus longs that every single one of us would look to him, would look to him on the cross and see him there in their place. Jesus longs that each of us would say thank you to him and accept the forgiveness he wants to give to us. Allow him to unentangle us of all of our sin and all that will hold us back from peace with God. So that we can then run this race knowing Jesus, bringing joy to him as his people, that he then, who reigns over heaven, reigns with a people who belong to him, who finished the race, as it were, in his arms. Are we looking to Jesus this morning? Are we set on bringing joy to him? And fourthly, where Jesus is now, these verses tell me that he is in heaven. When Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. Of course, he rose again to life and ascended to heaven and he does reign in heaven as king. He's there. He's, he's smashed sin. He's crushed death and he promises life to those who will run to him. This is a wonderful truth. Where is Jesus now? Where is this finishing line if we cross it with Jesus? Heaven. Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's a real challenge to us. Do we truly know this Jesus for ourselves, boys and girls? Do we truly know him as our friend who not just takes us through life, but takes us into eternity 
where he is king and reigns. And grown-ups too. Who are we looking to? Who's going to help us to know eternal life? Only Jesus. He's the only one who is the beginner and finisher of all things. And so there's the challenge for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. There's a choice all of us face. It's a choice for boys and girls, and we tell them on camps as they come age seven, eight years old, as much as we tell the 18-year-olds that come, as much as we remind the team that come along and work with us. There's a choice continually before us. And the choice is very, very simple. Are we looking to Jesus? Have we fixed our eyes on him? Is our focus on him alone and not the things around us or even on ourselves and what we can try and do? Because only in looking to Jesus will we know eternal rescue forever and ever. Boys and girls, you're not too young to begin looking to Jesus. You're not too young to start looking to him. You're not too young to throw away the sin, to leave that behind and know the forgiveness and peace Jesus brings. And grown-ups, you're not too old. You've not got too much of a messed up, tangled up life to say, enough. I, I can't do any of this by myself and this baggage I'm carrying around. I need Jesus to free me from it. I need Jesus to loose me from my sin. I need Jesus to forgive me and clean me up and give me a fresh start. And then Jesus give me that confidence as I look to him and head for him, I'll know security and I'll know peace with God forever and ever and ever. Let me encourage you, if you've never done it before, to stop and give thanks to God for all of his goodness today in providing so much for us, but best of all, in providing Jesus for us, in providing forgiveness of sin, providing rescue through his death on the cross. Let me encourage you to stop today and thank God for Jesus. Let me encourage you to stop today and say sorry for the sin we've got. Let me encourage you to say, please, Jesus, help me focus on you and fix my eyes upon you. Will you do that? Will you put your hand to the plow? Will you run the race and allow Jesus to take you to the finish line. Let me pray that we might all do that. Thank you, God, for harvest, and that we do think of all those people and thank, uh, thankful for all those people who, who provide food for us and make it possible for us to have so much to enjoy in this country. And, of course, we do remember those who are less fortunate, who today are going hungry, who today are struggling, who today... Um, I'm thinking about where the next meal might come from. And we do pray today to help us to think about them and think about how we might be able to help them. We thank you that you are a God who provides so much for us and hasn't left us um, in a state of, of wondering what will happen next, but way we can know you're a God who's provided a future for us if we look to Jesus. We do thank you this morning that we've been able to think about the cross of Jesus, his death on our behalf, the forgiveness he can bring to us if we but ask him for it. And we do pray to give us thankful hearts this morning and give us a focus that is fixed and that looks to Jesus and to nobody 
and nothing else. Help us to take our eyes off those things that might distract us from following Jesus. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves and our desire to try and do it our own way. Help us to look only to Jesus for rescue and salvation for eternity to come. For we pray it in his precious name. Amen. I think we're going to stand. Thank you, Andy, for reminding us what it's all about, really, to fix our eyes on Jesus. May that be our, our real desire this week as we go into a new week, that we fix our eyes on him, that we give him all our problems, all our issues. To him we give praise and thankfulness, but we fix our eyes on him. Maybe the challenge this morning is that we've had our eyes taken from him, we've been looking to something else, someone else, then let's refocus this week. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to sing a final song in closing. There's a church lunch today. So please, if you're able, stay behind. Go up into the youth hall. Have some fellowship. A cup of tea and a little bit of food together. Um, so that would be good.